my friends, and welcome to the Experience Our Industry podcast. I am Dr. Brian Greenwood, and I am super excited to be here today with Ann Dowd Boswell. <laughs> I was like, Dowd Val, but Dowd Val. <laughs> Ann Dowd Boswell. Sorry, Ann. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's so exciting to see you. Anne is a 1996 graduate of our program, so it's exciting for me to have a contemporary on. I graduated from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill in 1996, and so uh, it's exciting to uh, to have a, a a kid my a kid that's my age. You know, uh, <laughs> amazing how it feels like it was yesterday, and it also feels like a million years ago. It's life is weird like that. It really is, isn't it? You know, I, uh, I I tell my students when I when I feel like they're not relating to me well, I'm like, remember, I'm just a I'm just a big kid uh, pretending to be an adult, right? And so uh, <laughs> I don't think they believe that, but uh, but somehow uh, that that's how I try to portray it. So Anne is currently the director of admissions and outreach for the Athena Academy in uh, Palo Alto. And we will eventually get to that and um, and talk about her current role. Um, but she's had such a great, uh, a great and interesting career, and um, so I'm excited to get into that. Let's talk about where you're from, though. Where did where did you grow up, Anne? I grew up in Clovis, which is just outside of Fresno. Ah. So I'm a I'm a Central Valley girl, and spent my whole life there until going to Cal Poly and. I loved growing up in Clovis, but I was ready to get out. And so uh-huh. I was one of those people who moved to San Luis Obispo and stayed year round. Um, all right. All my summers there, it was, you know, go home to 110 degree heat or stay in San Luis Obispo. So it, yeah. it was an easy choice for me. And easy uh, choice frequently, but I've, I've not lived there since I left for college. Right, right. Now, now what did your parents do growing up? Uh, my mom was a dental hygienist, and my dad, his whole career was in insurance. He worked for AAA. How right um, on. Yeah, and he, my dad also is really interesting and has an interesting tie to recreation because yeah. when I was nine, I guess he kind of always had two roles. When I was nine, I started playing softball, uh-huh. and um, he somehow got pulled in, suckered, I don't know, to be the president of the league. Oh, the of course. Year I played. And he's now still all these years later um, involved and is the commissioner actually for Central California Amateur Softball Association. So he's always sort of run this volunteer uh, career alongside of his his professional career as well. That is so cool. And what a great way to com- connect to the community. And, um, but usually after your kids, uh, uh age out, yeah. usually you kind of pass it on, so, but that's great that he, uh, that he stayed involved. Um, that is really cool to hear. What about any siblings? Do you have any, any siblings? I do. I have a sister. She's two years older than I am. Yeah. And, uh, she still lives in Clovis. So she's, she stayed home and right um, on with the rest of my family. Right on. Well, we have that in common too. My uh, brother and sister uh, are still in North Carolina, my hometown, North Carolina. So, and uh, there's a lot of similarities between Clovis and uh, where I grew up. I grew up on a tobacco farm. I don't know if you knew that or not, but uh, I did not know. Yeah. Yeah. In Eastern North Carolina. Yeah. Yeah. I remember uh, a few years back, you know, my stepdad used to be one, he was one of those guys who, um, he liked a good argument, right? And um, um, before the advent of of this uh, magical device called Google, 
uh, you know, he could win those arguments. Um, and about five years ago, he told me that, oh, yeah, you know, uh, North Carolina, such and such in agriculture. And I was like, well, you know, yeah, you know, California is number one, of course. And he's like, oh, no, it's not. And I was like, uh, actually, um, by a very, very large margin, it is. And I like pulled up Google and he's like, oh, and I was like, yeah, that actually uh, the Central Valley alone, I'm pretty sure is more than North Carolina's agriculture. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting. There are so many people there that don't have anything to do with farming. And yeah. yet it's such a big, huge contributor to the world's um, economy and food yeah. and production, all of that. Yeah, you know, I, I before before I went, uh, uh, you know, and, and drove through the valley, I had no idea. I mean, but you you get out on some of those roads, and you're like, it, obviously, as you know, Clovis, and you're like, whoa, this is massive. Uh, but anyway, so let's talk a little bit about growing up. Um, so you've already mentioned softball. What what else were you into growing up? Um, well, I was a really active kid. I think that's always been. Um, kind of one of my strengths and also one of my downfalls. I I do a lot. I do too much and I commit to too much. And I've sort of always done that since I was right. little. Right. And so I was always involved in clubs and organizations and um, sports. I played sports year round uh, when you could do that right. and play multiple sports. I feel like right. that has changed so much now. You By 10, uh, you have to commit the rest of your life to a sport these days, it feels like. Unfortunately, but yeah. 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 So I, I did, um, I played a lot of sports. I, fun fact about me, I am not a tall adult. Um, I'm probably, I say five, four and a half, but I'm probably now five, four. And I oh, really? haven't really grown since I was 12. So I played all the tall oh. girl sports. I oh. played basketball. I played volleyball. I was a long jumper. I was a high jumper. All of the uh -huh. things that come like 13, I could no longer do because everyone around me sort of shot up. And so right. um, it's how I landed in softball and, and stayed playing softball through uh, part of high school. I uh, didn't play my junior and senior year, but I, I had to give up the tall girl sports when everybody else surpassed me. Right. Well, I have to admit to you, Anne, I, you give off tall girl vibes. I would have never guessed that you're, all, <laughs> you're only five, four. You Nobody really do told me that <laughs> no seriously seriously like if you had said like you're sitting down now and, and i haven't seen you and it's probably been 10 years since i've seen you or, or more and yeah. um you, you know i if you had asked me to guess am i um above or below five eight i would have said above uh, that uh, you give off tall girl vibes <laughs> so that's where it came from my goal was to be taller than my son until 12 and <laughs> Uh, about a week after his 12th birthday, he, we had to pull out the level and sure enough, he, he had me. So it nice. was only a few more years before the entire family's taller than I am. Right, right. Well, my um, my 14-year-old, she is looking me dead in the eyes. And my 12-year-old, he's pre coming pretty close. So yeah, they, they grow fast, don't they? Yeah, it's crazy. So let's talk about that um, transition to Cal Poly. Um, obviously, I know, and, and most of our listeners um, will know that there is that connection, right, with the Central Valley and San Luis Obispo. Uh, the Central Coast is, is a great vacation spot. Um, did you grow up coming to the Central Coast or like what was the connection? Was there any connection to San Luis Obispo? Yeah, I did. We grew up uh, spending a week every summer in Pismo. Yeah. 
Um, and so we'd always drive through slow and stop wow. there and we'd take a day and shop downtown when it was, you know, three stores <laughs> it wasn't right. like it looks now. Right. Um, it's, it's so ironic. We would go to San Luis Obispo to shop, but the reality was there were so many more places to shop in the Central Valley. But um, yeah. so I was sort of there at Cal Poly when downtown boomed and all the boutiques went in and they, they oh, cool. Right after I left, which was like, you know, shocking. So of it's course. a very different place than I grew up visiting, but we definitely spent time there and I always loved it. And um, nice. it, it's funny, I always just sort of said I wanted to go to Cal Poly and I, I didn't know you had to apply to a major. I didn't know all the weird intricacies yeah. that yeah. Cal Poly has and it just sort of, you know, worked out the way it was supposed to. And um, yeah from the valley the big joke in my family was we'd drive past the uh, cal poly football stadium and i always thought it was their practice field ah. as we like my high school football stadium <laughs> You're like where's the bigger one <laughs> like much bigger than than the um than the <laughs> and this was i think they've renovated it since i don't know i haven't been there for a while but we yeah, used to have. and it wasn't until i started at cal poly that i found out that was the actual football field <laughs> That's really funny. Yeah. That's really funny. Yeah, you know, the same thing for the gym. You know, you, you probably will be shocked to hear that we still have Mott Gym. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, and the rec center's had a whole nother iteration. Oh, no, the rec center and all that. Yeah, it's yeah. spectacular. It is really spectacular. Um, but, yeah, we, we we still have Mott Gym. And um, I think probably out of 210 schools, we're probably like 209 in uh, <laughs> basketball basketball facilities. <laughs> but yeah. anyway. There's got to be a school out there with just a cement court, right? That's right. That's right. Probably. <laughs> I love it. So let's talk about your your time at, uh, at Cal Poly. Obviously, I wasn't here. So I was a, lo- a lot of the... The people who I interview, I, I, you know, I get to say, obviously, I knew, I know how involved you were, right? Because, um, because yeah. I was here and I saw them being involved. But um, let's talk about a couple different things um, with your experience at Cal Poly. Um, obviously, uh, you you had uh, Dr. Shank, uh, Dr. Carolyn Shank was the uh, was the was the chair at the time, um, the the program director and um and dr Hendricks was here and dr moyer and yeah. um who else Bellaro, i guess right yeah. Yeah. yeah so um so two questions for you we'll go with the first we'll we'll we'll, we'll go with the first one to lead and and that will lead into the second one is there a memory that that you hold dear right during your time um in san luis obispo that you look back and you're like oh wow those those were the days like is there something you can share with us yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things. It's hard to, it's really hard to distill. I down know, I know. Um, I think, you know, academically for me, what I remember the most was the the relationships and the intimacy within our department. I mean, it really was everybody knew everyone. I know you're much bigger now, but everybody knew everyone. The yeah. faculty, you could just walk into their office and it was like hanging out with someone you'd known your whole life. There was yeah. that that familiarity that I think yeah. makes a huge difference when you're in college and you're trying to decide what the rest of your life is going to look like. And yeah. and it really, I think for me, it it engages you in ways that just going into my statistics class or my biology class or any of those other classes, I didn't have that at all. Yeah. And so um, that academically is something that has stuck with me. And then I think socially... Uh, I lived in a house that we um, 
kind of rented on a whim going into our sophomore year. And we ended up keeping that house in our circle of friends for like six or seven years. I wasn't, I wasn't there for all of them, but we always kind of knew the person coming in. And um, so that was just a social hub. Uh, Mm -hmm. We, you know, I shouldn't say this. It's, I'm long gone now, but we never locked our doors. We never, you know, no. people, we'd come home from dinner and there would be people that don't live there on our couch. We knew them, but they'd be watching a movie or hanging out. And, right. and so having that, um, that gathering space to build community yeah. in a way that was off campus and, um, and brought in lots of different kinds of students and friends. Mm-hmm. And it's really, it, it stands out, I think, the most in terms of my experience in college. And I'm still very close to a lot of those people, particularly the girls that lived in the house. We see each other pretty frequently and, and have stayed in touch, which is nice. I love that. I absolutely love that. You know, I was just talking. Um, I was just talking with with a college buddy of mine um, b- before we before we hopped on, and and we we had a house like that as well, just like you're talking about. And those hubs uh, are just so and they're so meaningful when you think back um, a- about them. And and then afterwards, I think about after college, and my one friend um, went directly into IBM, and he ended up buying a house. And his house for like years, it was almost like a boarding house. Like we, oh, you know, we, we, we had like 20 of us that, that eventually like went through that house. Right. And Dave, uh, Dave was like the, uh, uh, we called him the slumlord, you know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that's awesome. But the other thing that I want to, I want to point out that I think is um, a big difference, right. From my experience. And that's what you, um, what you said about the faculty, you know, going to the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. I mean, undergraduates, I mean, we're about the same. It's like 20 some thousand, right? Um, But obviously there's another 20 some thousand graduate students and PhDs and whatnot, but I did not get that at all. And, and, um, and that's something that we've tried to hold on to as we've grown. Um, You know, we, we, we try to to keep that close knit feeling. And, and we keep hearing um, our graduates and our students say that, um, but we know that it's not quite like it was back in, in your day, you know, because with growth, you you can lose some of that intimacy. And so we're trying to pull it back and, and grasp it because I think coming out of the pandemic, I think it matters a ton yeah. for people to feel that sense of community. And so we're trying to rebuild it. Well, and, you know, we had the great fortune of having a major that attracts a certain personality, right? And then on top of that, we had so many group projects and experiential learning and and going, you know, getting, I don't know if you, I don't know if you still do your, your hours. We had to do so many hours to go into our internship. And, um, and just that you would sign up for things like the Harbor Festival or Wildflower, any of these you know, hundreds of things that the department had their hands in. And so you'd end up spending all day Saturday doing something school related with these really fun, amazing, outgoing people. And, um, and it, it was like not school, right? It was sort of something that you would choose to do. And we, we definitely, those relationships with faculty really matter. I remember my friends, um, Bill Hendricks called one day. I was working on a research project for him and, and you know, we shared phones. There were no cell phones. I'm sounding like a total dinosaur right now, but no. we didn't have cell phones. We had a phone with a, a tape machine, essentially, yeah. that played yeah. out loud when someone left a message. Yeah. And I got home one day and one of my roommates said, who's Bill? Because back then we actually called our faculty by the first name, which was yeah. the only 
department at Cal Poly that did yeah. and said, who's Bill? And I said, well, he's my professor. They're like, no, no, it has to be a different Bill. They just left a voicemail on the machine. <laughs> and it was like, hi, Ann, it's Bill. Can you give me a call back? Yeah. And everybody in my house was like, who's Bill? Oh, and what like, is going on? actually prove that it was yeah. my member calling my house to connect with me on a research project. Right. I love that. I love that. Yeah, we we did end up having to go. uh, I I think it it got a little too informal. (laughs) I think it was like, (laughs) I I think uh, because, yeah, um, Dr. Hendricks changed it to Dr. Hendricks after a while. He must have heard that story from your roommates. (laughs) Oh, I don't know. I think it was years. It it, it was years after I left. I remember coming back to campus and visiting and and somebody said Dr. Hendricks to him. And I looked over. I was like, oh, you've made it now. Like, Ah. we're throwing the PhD out. And so. Look at you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, he, he described it for us as he was like, yeah, it got a little bit too much like the surf culture. When they started calling me bra, oh, I yeah. think I decided that we needed to go a little more formal. <laughs> hey, what's up, bra? Him at all. There was no there was no dudes. But yeah, I could yeah. see that there needed to be a shift when it got yeah. like that. Yeah, was, that's funny. There was a lot of respect for the faculty. I of course. Tell you that. Of course. Yeah, of course. And um, so so let's talk about you've 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 brought up a couple of things right in wildflower and harbor festival and all kinds of things and and um you know we we obviously pride ourselves on learn by doing and in that professional development is there a, a memory that you have um a, from a professional development standpoint that you look back and you feel like that really helped to launch you or or really helped to to build your confidence moving you know moving out into the working world yeah um, I didn't know it at the time, but now I'm in the Bay Area. I've been here for many, many years, and I have a lot of friends that hire within the Bay Area. And I think that um, one thing they say across the board, engineering, it, does, it doesn't matter, event management, engineering, um, pick any other field. They say, if I have a Cal Poly grad, they go to the top of my pile because they always show up. They know how to work. They have a work ethic. They show up on time. They've been trained to actually do things. And so Mm -hmm. at the time I didn't connect all those dots and it was never, I was never doing it so I could be hired, but coming into my early years of my career, people would say, you seem so much older. And I wasn't, I was, there was nothing special about me. I just went in and I did the work because I had yeah. four years where that training was sort of instilled in me. And yeah. um, I think that, you know, that learn by doing makes such a difference when you come out and you're 22 or 23 and you're going yeah. into perhaps a field or an office with a lot of older people that have been working and maybe they're mm-hmm. jaded, maybe they're motivated, maybe, you know, I'm not sure, but, but they oftentimes will look at new employees and think, Oh, well, this guy shows up on time. I just feel like there's um, there is an edge there that is very well known uh-huh. in many industries around the learn by doing. And, right. and for me, it was just, um, Beyond the sort of, I left college with a resume, which nobody does. Right, <laughs> right. right. I had all of this experience, and I could apply for jobs in a way that was, um, I think, definitely set me apart from an average college graduate. But, um, right. But it was. I don't, just having that ease, I work, you know, you work with a lot of adults. You do yep. a lot of things with professionals in those yep. four years. You're, you're pushed to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, 
you know, you, you stumble a little bit along the way, but you kind of learn how to work up if you will, and, yeah. and kind of show up and be present and and show them who you are. So I think that hands-on piece, and it's even, I think it's even more so in um, this department specifically. Yeah. It's yeah. really a hands-on field and it's, there's been a lot of thought and intentionality that goes into the doing part mm-hmm. um, of of experience industry and and when I was there, you know, parks and rec and, and recreation yeah. administration. And, and that's, not lost on me, right? At 23, yeah. I didn't, I didn't yeah. know it was different than the other departments, but it right. definitely is uh, a department that takes that incredibly seriously with some intentionality, and it makes all the difference in the world. Right, and I think that intentionality is key. And um, I'll I'll just add a couple of things for our current students. I promise, Anne is not a plant, and I did not. Um, oh, I'm her- not. I would not give her a script to say that uh, because I, 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 we, you know, we do a lot of coaching with our students on, on, on that advantage. And, and I, I know it's an advantage, you know, I mean, I, I published, uh, uh, Dr. Schwab and I uh, published a, a book on Learn By Doing a few years back in 2017. And, and we interviewed alumni and industry partners, and we kept hearing that over and over and over again what you just said, almost verbatim, you know, and um, it really is an advantage. I mean, I remember, I mean, I remember deep into my 20s, and I did not like being around adults. Like if they were over 30, I was like, you know, or if somebody said, oh, their parents will be there, I'd be like, no, 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 no. I'm not going if their parents are going to be there, you know, And, and it's like, I mean, because I was sitting in classrooms where it was like all theory. I wasn't getting out there into the community and, and understanding like, like that intergenerational element. Right. It was almost like an us versus them type mentality that I had, you know, and that really, that really served as a, um, as a really powerful negative um, influence on me for, for getting jobs and, and getting real jobs, right. And getting, becoming a working professional and, and so it wasn't until I went into graduate school and I started to get some of that more hands-on stuff, you know, and I, I remember when we were writing the book, one of the things that, that our chemistry, uh, the, the, the chair of our chemistry department said, he was like, at, at Stanford, um, PhD students, doctoral students use the equipment that they have, Right. He was like at Cal Poly undergraduates, we, they use that same equipment. And I'm like, Whoa. And I'm like, yeah, okay. That's the difference. That's a big difference. (laughs) You know, know, and I didn't, I didn't recognize it at the time. I think, you know, as I was going through it, what I felt the strongest benefit was, was figuring out what I didn't want to do. So I really, I went into Cal Poly with sort of this idea of what I wanted to do. And I came out, I stayed in the major, I, you know, I didn't change majors ever, but I came out at a complete 180 from what I went in, in terms of, mm-hmm. um, you know, I ended up having to, I don't know how it is now, but I, I, I feel like I have to stop saying that. <laughs> Maybe I should have done some homework before I hopped on this call with you, but um, no, no, I, no. I ended up creating my own concentration at the end because um, I wanted to do something different and I was so deep in and I really could parlay the, the recreation administration degree into what I wanted to do. And I think it's part of why you all have shifted a little bit in terms yeah. of the, the um, 
the major name and the department name and all of those because it's a little more encompassing than what we had access to. But that was really, I would go volunteer for something and go, yep, that's not it. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I a project for something else and go, yeah, that's not it either. And then uh -huh. I eventually made my way to what was it. And right. that's a huge, I mean, most people do that in their 20s. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I had a chance to do that in college. It's it's really so valuable, and um, you know one of the things that I I want to touch on um, with you in, in particular is that transferability of skills, right? And and um, and and you you've already you've already hit on it, um, but you know so you you went on and and you got a, a, a two different master's degrees, right? Um, in um, in moving forward in life, and um, I wonder if you can talk about like um, what whether or not you felt like the program set you up um, to help you along those lines. You know, I've heard from, I've heard from former students over the years that our um, senior project really helped them with their master's thesis and really prepared them to go out and to, to graduate education and, and feel like they had a leg up. Um, would you say that that was the case for you too, as well? Oh, 100%. It, it really, um, when I did my master's thesis the first time, I had all the outlines. I mean, essentially, my senior project could have been a, a master's thesis and probably needed a little bit more depth to it, but it was laid out in the same way. And yeah. I actually used the format from my senior project oh, and awesome. just made a copy and started over. And um, it, it made it so much easier. I was working while I was doing my graduate work. And so I didn't have a ton of time and just feeling like I went in and thinking, oh, I've done this before and not having that initial doubt in myself. Whereas I felt like a lot of my classmates sat with it for a while and didn't really mm -hmm. know how to wrap their head around it because they weren't trained in research and they weren't, um, they didn't ever have that exposure. And so the, the research methodology classes I took were really just an extension of the classes that we took and the senior project that I did at Cal Poly. So that for people wanting to go into graduate level work, it definitely gives you, um, even if it's not, you know, mine wasn't the same field, it yeah. gives you a leg up in terms of your confidence and just, just knowing where to start. Right. I love it. And I, and I should be, I, I should be more intentional and, and say that, that Anne has two master's degrees, um, right from Santa Clara university in, um, education administration and counseling. Um, right. Did I get that right? Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So let's talk about, let's talk about your experience out in that working world that we've been referring to, um, and served as, um, as a residence Dean and as an assistant Dean of students, um, for Stanford University for uh, almost 12 years, uh, I guess. And then, and then also for, uh, as a resident fellow for uh, another uh, five years. Uh, so can you talk about um, what you did there at Stanford, um, how you ended up in, in those positions and, and what that was like, obviously working for um, a university that is known the world over as as um, as the best of the best um, must have been quite an experience um, working at Stanford. Yeah, you know, I've, I've had a great career there and um, I've, I've been I think really lucky. It's it's interesting if you follow my resume, it looks like there's all these disjointed um, right turns, but it, it really they all do kind of build on each other. And so I uh, let's see, coming out of 
Cal Poly, I went and did the my master's in education administration and was working part-time at Stanford. And that's really how I got started. And then I left Stanford. I the the dot com boom was happening. It was um, the year, you know, it was 99, somewhere around there. And I thought, well, I'm gonna hop on this. Let's see what this is all about. And I ended up leaving and I went to work for a startup. Um, that was amazing. And I, I loved the people I worked with. I loved what they were doing. Uh, it was early, early uh, online prescription writing uh-huh. because doctor's handwriting was so bad that there was, uh, it was <laughs> like, I can't remember what the stat was, but it was some obscene, like the third highest rate of mortality was wrong prescriptions or, you know, I, I should know this since I worked there, but I don't. Right. It's been right. many years. Right. And, um, and so I went to work for this company and ended up doing... Uh, trade shows and working in the marketing department and then kind of moved my way on accident into sales. And uh, when I was there, I got a call. I had applied uh, years before for a semester at sea. And I got a call from somebody. My resume was just sitting on file and I ended up getting hired to go on semester at sea. And it's a it's it's a hundred days. So you're really only hired for four months, but it's yeah. really a once in a lifetime opportunity. And so I quit my job at the startup and everybody thought I was crazy because, um, you know, there were all these stock options attached to it and all Google was happening and eBay and you know, all the, all the names, you know, now and all yeah. the billions that are around. Yeah. And I just didn't really care about that. For me, it was about experience and right. doing something that I love. Um, and, and kind of, making a difference in the world. I feel like everywhere I've sort of landed, it's been this helping difference making uh, mm-hmm. industry or position. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got back from semester at sea and and that's a wild ride in itself. We, you do a lot of counseling and crisis management and you're traveling, but there's a lot happening. It's a college floating college campus. So there's yeah. everything you'd see on land is happening on this ship. Right. And um, I got back and I was kind of bouncing around trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I got a call from a former colleague that said they had just posted this residence dean job. And it was uh, one of the things I've done is I've always gotten myself into jobs I have no business being in, which I think is why I kind of stick with things so long because I yeah. get there and I have to go, what have I gotten myself into? And then I got to figure this out, figure it out. <laughs> right. And then after I figure it out for a while, I'm like, oh, okay, let's something else presents itself. So right, right. I, I, I applied not thinking anything of it. I just didn't feel very qualified. And, um, one of the questions, it's the residence dean job is essentially crisis management and um, not mental health counseling, but a lot of it is first level case management. So you're mm-hmm. really in contact with a lot of university officials, sometimes hospital personnel, mental health personnel. There's there's a mm-hmm. lot going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and they asked, you know, some question about experience with an emergency. And we had on semester at sea, um, our ship got hit by another ship in no the Saigon way. River pulling into Vietnam. Oh my and, goodness. Um, the stars were all aligned. Nobody, m- miraculously, nobody was in the rooms that got hit. But um, oh. we had to triage that whole situation and move people and manage chaos. And, um, and so I gave that as an example. And I guess a very nonchalantly <laughs> delivered this scenario. They're like, man, she's on it. I was told later they were like, well, a ship is not going to run into another ship 
on water at this job. So I think maybe she can figure out how to handle the rest of it. So I went in and, um, and that's why I ended up going back and getting the second master's degree because on my maybe third day of work, I had a situation come up. Um, and back then we were on call, so we carried pagers and so you'd get paged and then you'd have to go call back. And, um, I had a very scary situation happen. And I, I just sort of thought I am so in over my head right now. I feel like I need some more tools. And so I did go back and do the second master's degree in counseling, which was um, really great. I loved it. And I loved my time at Stanford doing that work. And then Mm -hmm. I, I left um, the residence Dean position. It doesn't exist anymore at Stanford, Mm -hmm. but it was, um, sort of like an assistant dean of students. It just wasn't called that in the undergraduate world. And the graduate student or the graduate life office position that was equivalent is that assistant dean position. So I did move into working with graduate students and, um, and that was a lot of event planning too, and training. Oh, was it? Okay. You know, I've had, I've had this, this thread, I think, through my career around always being connected to organizing and um, Mm -hmm. planning and oftentimes both small and big events. Mm -hmm. And that's that's run pretty true everywhere I've been. And I don't know if it originally started as part of all of these jobs or I got into it and that's just how I gravitate. And so I started to maybe pull more of that in. But that was that was um like you said, 12 years. And then I, I left there and, and came to Athena, but uh, maybe four years into being at Athena, I really missed, uh, we're first through eighth grade. So totally different population. Right. And I really missed being with college students. It's, yeah. they, they are my jam. I just think that age group is so incredible. And, uh, and so my husband and I were offered a position to move in um, sort of as dorm parents. So we have two kids, we took our kids with us and we were um, what they call at Stanford resident fellows. It's a position that doesn't exist very many places. Yeah, I never heard. I, I really honestly did not know. I was like, she'll tell me what it is. I'm yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. We have them. I think Yale has them, Harvard has them, but they're called, they're called something different. And they're oftentimes faculty positions. So a faculty member will live in mm. and um, kind of help create community and um, bestow wisdom. And oftentimes that's academic or field related. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's not. Um, and so my husband and I just decided that we would go and do that and give that experience to our family. And so we just wrapped up five years. We moved less than a month ago um, yeah. back to our house in San Mateo and yeah. we, we had a ball and I mean, my kids, it was such a gift to my, my kids to grow yeah. up for that time in, in a dorm around really smart, thoughtful, talented 20 year olds, 19 and 20 year olds that, um, will change the world. And I, yeah. I think all college students are like that. They're really just yeah. such a, a neat bunch. And so um, for the first time, actually, in a, you know, a very long career, my husband and I are not attached to Stanford Student Affairs. <laughs> right, right, right. So, so what's that been like? <laughs> um, you know, it, the last couple of years were really hard. So it was time yeah. with, the, with the pandemic and, yeah. and all of those pieces. It was time for us to focus back on our family. And I like to call it right-sizing our life. Right. Um, I mentioned earlier, we I take too much on sometimes. And so, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, having two full-time jobs and two kids and a, a dorm outside your front door can yeah. sometimes be a lot. So it was yeah. time for us to leave, but we loved it. It, it really, um, 
you know, I, I kind of became the event planner. <laughs> and um, despite my background in crisis management, I left a lot of that up to my husband because uh-huh. um, we just had to divide and conquer. And I feel like yeah. my heart gravitates to that that event planning. And and maybe I just, the 12 years of responding to emergency calls was enough. But right, right, right. Well, was, I was going to ask, you know, one of the questions I wanted to ask you is, is are, are there any skills that, that, that you do on a day-to-day basis that you feel like, you know, form the basis for what you, what you learned here at Cal Poly, but you've already, you've already asked, answered that question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just, you know, it's, I'm just a planner by nature. I always yeah. have been. And yeah. um, I grew up in a family and in a community that built community and had people around and oftentimes had events and um, other gathering things. And so for me, it's just ingrained in kind of who I am. And so I, I do think it would be interesting if I looked back and really tried to figure out, did the job contain all those events or did I actually create all of those events? Uh. <laughs> right. I have a feeling it was the latter. <laughs> well, you know what? It's something that, that I think our um, the the students in our major in our department that that's what they bring to the table is that you're yeah. you're able to oftentimes in jobs bring yourself into it and enhance it and make it better because mm-hmm. of who you are and the training that you've had. And so I think that's not lost on me that that's, you know, I was in the right major right. and I went on to do all of these kind of right turn jobs. But, yeah. um, but I think you, you bring a lot to the table when you have the experience that we had in college. Right. So I think you're, and I think you're uniquely positioned to answer this next one, and I, I don't think it's a curveball, though it's it wasn't it wasn't on the script that that we uh, that I gave you uh, in advance, but it, it kind of has naturally um, come up. Um, you, you know, coming out of of um, of a global pandemic that that obviously put a certain degree of trauma um, onto each of our shoulders. Um, what would you say for higher education in particular, what would you say something that we could do to build more of that sense of community? You know, we talked about it previously with, with, um, with Bill and, and Carolyn and, and Cynthia and John and, and, you know, that, that core group of, of faculty that, that were here when you were here and, and, you know, as we've grown, obviously, like I said earlier, we've lost some of that and and we really want to rebuild it. And so I think you're uniquely positioned to answer that question. How do we rebuild it? How do, and that's not just higher education, that that's throughout, um, you know, throughout our country, throughout the world. Like, how do we rebuild that sense of community that we have um, lost to a certain extent through the global pandemic? Um, I think relationships are everything. And if you don't build relationships, I don't think you can build community and you can't, um, you can't build on that community over time. And so what's, what's interesting, you started down this path and I was like, oh, okay, I'm onto this. And then you were like, and our whole country. And I was like, I know, I know. I I got a little too big (laughs) for you. I'm so sorry. (laughs) I think it's true. And I think it's a, it's a really it's a really important time for people to figure this out because one of the things that I've witnessed at Stanford and particularly living 
adjacent attached to a dorm Mm -hmm. um, is that if you can get two people talking and finding commonality, that connection could be the next partnership that goes into business. It could be the next relationship that develops into a family. It could be um, best friends that 25 years from now are having reunions. And you just don't know until you can connect those people. And so I think what happens is we, and I'm guilty of this too, we self-select. We go into a social event. You guys can throw a social all you want, but I'm telling you right now, the two people who sit next to you, next to each other in your class are going to stand next to each other all day long at that social event and maybe venture out a little bit, but they're not going to go talk to the person they've never had a class with. And so um, one of the things that we did, uh, and it's not, um, it's, it's not uncommon. Other dorms do it, but it's something called plates at Stanford and they're platonic dates and the money is um, it's provided. So they get like a Starbucks gift card or we've got a, a coffee shop at Stanford called Koopa. They'll get a Koopa gift card and, and you get paired up with someone you don't know. And those two people go off on their plate. And so you end up just having, where are you from? Oh, oh, really? Oh, that's amazing. And, and this connection starts so that the next time you go into class, maybe you do sit next to that person. The next quarter that starts, you're like, oh, my gosh, it's, you know, Stacy. Hey, how are you? I haven't seen you all quarter. Mm-hmm. And I think in a, a department um, like ours, that's easier to do than in other places. And, yeah, and so I think being able it. to build those relationships um, and, and get that individual connection goes a long way because you see that person as a human being and, and you, you have maybe something in common. Maybe you don't, maybe you're just fascinated that they grew up my husband. I mean, talk about complete opposites. I grew up in Clovis, California, went to public school my entire life until I did my my graduate degree. And right. my husband grew up all over the world. My father-in-law was in the state department. And so he lived oh, in Amman, wow. Jordan. He lived in Quebec, Canada. He's been all over and, and oh, always wow. in American schools or private schools. So yeah. it, on paper, we have nothing in common. Right, right. <laughs> we worked together and we got to know each other. And all of a sudden it was like, ah, oh, this person's really cool. Yeah. So I think that that goes a long way, even if it's just at the beginning of class, making people yeah go do a small little project with someone that they wouldn't mm-hmm. normally know helps to bridge that gap. And then politically, I mean, that's so important yeah. to, to, if we're ever going to solve all of what's going on in our country. And I don't know that we will, but we'll right. try. Right. <laughs> I think you have, you have to connect with people to be able yeah. to have a conversation and see where they're coming from because they yeah. believe a certain way because of some experience that they've had and being yeah. able to connect that is key. Yeah. And um, thank you so much for that. What, what, uh, what a gem. And, um, and, you know, this is, this will air uh, right before, uh, right before the the quarter starts. So hopefully, um, hopefully our, our faculty will, will listen and we'll get some, get those gems to, to help them. And I know that really just helped me a ton. It just helped to reinforce, you know, a lot of what, what we valued so much pre-pandemic, right? But then during the pandemic and the virtual and hybrid, it's just you just inevitably inevitably are going to lose some of that. And so I think as we as we try to get back to some sense of of normalcy, I mean, hopefully 
those relationships and and building those connections, I think will be, I think you're absolutely right that that they'll they will be key. And um, and if it's a connection like a college or like a department or like what it is, whatever it is, like you can find commonality there, right? <laughs> It'd be really interesting um, either to weave into your classes or have a whole separate class around networking mm-hmm. because I hate that term. I hate like someone will invite me to a networking event. I was like, oh, God, I I would <laughs> rather get a root canal. Right. But right. if you invite me to a social or a party or whatever, I'm there. I'm the first one to RSVP. Yeah. And so I think being able to put that in perspective for students yeah. around what that actually means down the road, all of my jobs, um, except maybe two that I can think of came through people. I know people I worked with people that said, Hey, there's this job. You should look into it. And, um, and I think it's such an awkward thing. It's so awkward to go and talk to someone you don't know, but the benefits, Mm -hmm. particularly within a major where you never know where you're going to land and who you're going to know and being able to say, like, I'm still in touch with people that I have a, a former, um, classmate who's in Idaho, I've never been to Idaho. If I went to Idaho tomorrow, she'd be the first person I call. Right. Not because of the job, but she, I just haven't seen her. And, you know, we yeah. stay in touch on Facebook. And yeah. um, and so it's it's a learned skill. And I think something that um, I would really encourage your faculty to understand is, um, and this was a rude awakening for us last fall, mm-hmm. many of these students stayed at home for two years. Yeah. And those pivotal like 16 to 18, when you're really kind of pushed out of the nest in high school and you have to go do things and work with adults and get that, that your feet wet in that area, yeah. they didn't have. And so we saw that there was a major difference yeah. um, between the freshmen we had our first year and the freshmen we had our last year. I mean, like mm-hmm. night and day. And mm-hmm. and we actually had one, we sat down at dinner with a freshman the very first week of school. I think it might've been the very first day of new student orientation. Mm-hmm. And he kind of, he freaked out a little bit and he was really vulnerable and honest. And he said, I'm really sorry. I have been at home. I have not met anyone new or talked to another adult in as long as I can remember. And he said, I have to get up. Like he was yeah. having a moment, like he was really experiencing this. And I had, um, and he did much better. You know, he, he kind of was able to ease back into that. But it was yeah. this moment of clarity for me that these kids that were seeing like first and second graders and these college students that were seeing freshmen, sophomore, maybe now sophomore juniors, mm-hmm. they, in my opinion, are the two groups that are most profoundly impacted because mm-hmm. of those transition times. And so it might, you might want to put a little thought into it in terms of like not maybe just throwing everybody in. And I'm uh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely popping through my head is it's not it's not like it was when we went to college and it was just kind of scary to meet new people. It's a it's a whole other element, a whole new ball, whole new ball game. Yeah, I I, I definitely agree with you. And I I have seen. I have seen an increase in in faculty having that empathy, right, and and understanding that um, that we've all been through a lot, right? And and obviously um, some way more than others um, in in terms of of, um, of trauma, in terms of isolation, in terms of all kinds of different things. And so 
Um, I really, really appreciate that. Um, so as we as we wrap it up, um, you know, you know, uh, I, I want to also make sure to 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 give you kudos and 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 thanks for your service on our advisory council for many years. That's how Ann and I um, originally met. She served on on the advisory council for us for what I'm um, probably ten years, six, seven years, five. I don't know. Oh, I don't even know. I'd have to. I'd have it was, to it was it a long there. time. It was a long. I'll, I'll look it up. I'll, I'll I'll get the dates and I'll 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 post it uh, with the podcast. But um, just want to thank you for that. Um, and, and then also, you know, want to to give you a chance to reflect. You know, um, in uh, 2016, we made the change to experience industry management, and and um, you know, I've talked to you that we we saw it as an umbrella term to to make sure everyone felt included under the umbrella um, because recreation parks and tourism was limiting you know it left out two of our most popular areas in special events and and sports and um but that that mentality has really shifted um since since we since we took on the label to 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 understand that experience design and the co-creation of experiences is something that just about every every organization in the world is doing in some way shape or form and so um i wonder if you can in, in your current position obviously at athena you are working with a, a population that that is a very specific population right and so um i wonder if you're seeing that um if if that's something that you um you you utilize it in your day-to-day yeah it is i mean this that's it's like i'm (laughs) trying to go back to the original like the the i think the umbrella piece of of the department renaming is really critical i did always feel a little left out i i came into the department thinking that i wanted to do community recreation and camps and Mm -hmm. and you know in my idealistic way i was going to run camps for disadvantaged children and save the world and um and i left going into graduate school for working in student affairs and student services at the higher education level so it was like a huge shift but but I think we were always sort of looking at look outside the box. There was always that yeah. permission to do so within the department and be able to create something that was more specialized along the lines of what um, we wanted, but it was yeah. always that experience. Everything I've always done has provided an experience to yeah. people and not in a big, you know, Super Bowl kind of way, but right. in every interaction that I have, people have an experience with you. Yeah. And so keeping that in mind and thinking about the impact you have on other people when they are interacting with you or when you're providing a service or a product or whatever it might be that that you do in your current job um it it keeps i think it keeps some flexibility and some fluidity in what you're doing and thinking and and really these are all humans (laughs) and then ultimately you know i landed at a school I'm never in a million years, if you would have said, okay, when you're 48, what are you going to be doing? I mean, this just like, it's so not, was not on the radar, right? Uh, but it, it presented itself to me. And I think that's one of the things I've, if I look back, I didn't know it was happening at the time, but I've always sort of been presented an opportunity and thought, well, that's interesting. Like, 
what's the worst thing that could happen? So right. I think I've kind of lived my life in this design thinking way, like, oh, let's right. try something. What, like, if it doesn't work, we'll go try something different. Right. And, and so I, I think it's ingrained in me in ways, those calculated risks that, um, you know, throw everything on the wall and see what sticks and mm-hmm. be able to modify as you need to and be flexible mm-hmm. is really important. But in my current role, it's amazing. So this school is um, started as a startup. I started the first year they were here and mm-hmm. really honestly thought I was going to come in and be here for about a year. I, mm-hmm. um, I had two babies at home. I needed to get out of the 24-hour work cycle, being on call. And this, some uh, the woman who founded the school called me and said, would you come do this? And I knew nothing about dyslexia education. I'd never done admissions work. I just sort of leaned into it and I helped her set up the systems and kind of get things going. And that was my yeah. plan to like get out. And I, I just fell in love with what was happening here because it was Uh, out of the box thinking it was really based off of the neuroscience. That's really new in our Mm -hmm. world. We, you know, have not had functional MRIs for very long. And so being able to see what the brain does when it's doing something specific is crazy right? and and can really drive um, this technology and what we know can drive changes. And yeah. so it's it's a school that thinks out of the box. And um, it's just never anywhere I thought I would be. And so I, I guess, you know, I don't know that I've actually answered your question, but I think what no, you have. Yeah. coming back to me is I hope students will opt for opportunity and yeah. know, you know, there's there's no longer this ladder. It doesn't feel like there's this ladder that people have to move up. I mean, unless you're in academia and there's a full-on ladder and, you know, you've got to, you've got to go from the trenches up, but, but, you know, being presented with new out-of-the-box things that maybe don't line up exactly with what you think you would be doing or what your last job was, but Mm -hmm. maybe taking that leap of faith and knowing, well, the worst thing that could happen is you might have to go find another job or you might hate it or, you know, whatever. But I have done that every step of my career, and I would not give any one of those jobs back. Right. Um, and so it's, I, I, I hope, you know, that that willingness to take risks, I know it has served me, and I'm not, I don't take crazy risks, but those calculated right. risks really pay off. Love it. That's such great advice. Um, Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to to talk with us. Um, I, uh, it's so great to see you, and um, I can't thank you enough. Yeah, it's so great to see you too. And I miss Cal Poly. And you know, maybe one of these days I'll I'll surprise you and just knock on the door. Yes, please do, please do. <laughs> you know, it's always open for you. Well, thank you so much. All right, see ya. Bye. Bye.